morning. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. Anybody know that? Yes. Unfortunately, we don't have so many palms in this country. If, if you happen to be in Kenya now, you will see so many people on the streets having these processions carrying palms, palm leaves, or palm branches as they just celebrate Palm Sunday. I really miss that because I can't do it here. Maybe I can, but no palm. So we celebrate Palm Sunday today. And maybe you are wondering, what is this palm all about? Now, this is a story that I'm going to share today. The story is going to come from Matthew 21. Now, I just want to say the context of this story. The context of this story is coming from a, a, fest, a festival which used to happen in Jerusalem once a year. And this was the Passover festival. Now, the, the, the origin of the Passover festival is in uh, Exodus chapter 12 where the children of Israel had to slaughter lambs and small goats so that they can sprinkle the blood on their doors. And then the angel of death, when he passed at night, he passed over their houses and killed all the firstborns of the Egyptian families because the Egyptians had held the Israelites' captivity for 400 years. They had been enslaving them and torturing them. And God had told Pharaoh, let my people go through a deliverer called Moses. But Pharaoh had resisted time and time again to let the children of Israel go. But God did this one last act by killing every firstborn of every Egyptian child, a man or family. And that was the the bone or the, the strike that made Pharaoh leave the children. So God told the children of Israel, you will remember this from generation to generation. You are going to pass this information to your children who will share with their children and forever you will have this celebration. So they used to celebrate this every year. And this story I'm going to share, it is happening in the context of that celebration. People are on the way marching and going to Jerusalem for this Passover celebration. Now Jesus, who has been preaching for the last three years, is also on the way to Jerusalem. Now in the previous past, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem several times, but he, he was always going there secretly. But this time he does something that is unlike him. He goes there publicly, and not just publicly, but he's actually really putting himself out there and kind of identifying himself and saying, here I am, everybody should see me. So let's read this story and then we'll talk about it. Matthew 21, I'm reading from NIV. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphay on Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And Matthew here quoting Isaiah, uh, Zechariah 9 says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloak on the road, 
while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. And as they were shouting, they were reciting Psalm 108 saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? You might be here this morning asking yourself, who is this Jesus that I hear about? This day the crowds were asking the same, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, from Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called the house of prayer. And here he's quoting Isaiah 56. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the table and the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise. Father, we bless you for these words. We bless you because, Lord, these are not just words, but this is actually the true account of events that transpired on that day. And, Father, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to understand what you want to speak to us this morning for the glory of your Son. Amen. Now, this is the only recorded time in the Bible that Jesus rides. Jesus walked everywhere. And I don't believe that Jesus is riding at this moment because he is tired, because we have countless of other times in the scripture when he was tired, but he never rode anything. But Jesus here is deliberately riding into Jerusalem, and there are very concrete reasons why he is doing that. I'm not going to explore that. I'm going to leave that for you who love digging into these things at the Connect group. You can discuss the reasons why Jesus chose to ride in Jerusalem. So Jesus sends forth two of his disciples and tells them, go and in a certain village and you will find a donkey and a colt and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you, why are you doing that? Tell them, our master, our Lord needs of them. Now, I wonder how many of you, if someone walks to you and tells you, I want you to give me this, Jesus has told me to give it to you. I don't know how many of you are going to give it to them. But surprisingly, when these disciples go and start untying this colt and donkey, people ask them, what are you doing? And they tell them, our Lord has use of this. And they just let them go. And it occurred to me that, you know, Jesus was in this habit of borrowing things. Here we see he's borrowing someone else's donkey. Before this event, at one point, he had borrowed a fisherman's boat at the Sea of Galilee and started preaching to the people using a borrowed boat. 
At another point, we see him borrowing a coin from a man in the crowd so that he can make a point about paying taxes. We see him at another time borrowing five loaves of bread and two fishes and then feeding 10,000 people. And even after he died, Jesus was laid in a borrowed grave. Now, it occurred to me that Jesus is still in this business of borrowing stuff. And there are so many things that Jesus is asking, are you going to give that to me? You have gifts. You have talents that Jesus wants to borrow so that he can use it for the greater good. The, the, the question that you have to ask yourself is, in this morning is that, are you ready to lend Jesus whatever it is that he's asking you this morning? And the most important thing that Jesus is asking you this morning is he wants to borrow your heart. And he wants to use your heart for the purposes of his glory. And more so, he wants to save your heart so that you can live for eternity. So think about that as we go on. So Jesus' sovereignty is, is really displayed throughout, even as he starts his journey going to Jerusalem. We are told that this, there were always crowds around Jesus. But on this particular occasion, this crowd was even much more. Why? Because not only were there the crowds who were always following Jesus, expecting, oh, what is he going to do today? But this time around, there are lots of people on the road that Jesus is traveling who without thinking about Jesus or without knowing Jesus, they were already on their journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So this crowd grows bigger and bigger. And as they bring this cult, Jesus sits on it. Actually, Matthew says that they set Jesus on it. So it was like they kind of crown him by sitting him on this cult. And then they start making their journey into Jerusalem. So people start shouting and, and, and rejoicing and, and praising God and singing Hosanna to the son of David. Now Hosanna means save now. Now why are they shouting Hosanna to the son of David? Because prophetically these people had known that a time will come because the prophet had prophesied it. It had been written in by Daniel, by Zechariah, by Isaiah and all other prophets that there will be a time when a king will come who will deliver the children of Israel from the bondage that they were in. Now bear in mind that at this time Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans. So the Jews were really longing for a period whereby this prophesied king will come and deliver them. But they failed to understand that this king that has been prophesied is not actually a worldly king, but a heavenly one. So for them, they were looking, at a, they were looking for a soldier, someone who will come fighting and bringing, bringing, conquering the, the Romans who are occupying them and bringing peace and ruling over them. But of course, Jesus was not such kind of a king. But, sorry. Thank you. I have funny ears. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so, but something is surprising here. Because as they continue going on and shouting and singing and praising God, all of these people do not understand the exactly what is going on. 
For them, they are thinking that Jesus is coming to rescue them. He's going to be an earthly king. But there is only one person who knows exactly the truth about that, and that is Jesus himself. But what amazes me is that Jesus continues to accept their praise. He continues to listen to their praise, yet he knows very well they are praising him for the wrong reason. Now, I wonder, why is that? Now, I do believe that Jesus was receiving their praise. Jesus was accepting their praise because of what Jesus knew. And Jesus knew that even at this time, even though they are praising him and singing and shouting and delighting in him, celebrating him as a king who has come, he knew that even though this time it is not going to happen, but there is a time that is coming when they will sing, when they will shout, when they will celebrate the coming of a king in real, the king who has rescued the world. And I'm reminded of the words of Revelation chapter 7, which are said, as after this I looked, and there before me was a multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in loud voices, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, Jesus is looking forward at that age, at that age in time, as he gave this word to John the Revelator, looking at that day when he will come to redeem creation. And even as these people are shouting and singing and dancing, he can receive that praise because from his vintage point, from his point of view, he has already won. Because God has no beginning and God has no end. He lives in infinity, in eternity. So even as they sing and shout, they do not understand what is going on, but Jesus knows what is going on. Let me tell you this morning, you can be praising for the wrong reasons. You can come and sing and jump and do all sorts of innuendos and thank God and uplift your name without actually having a clue what you are doing. You might be here, you are not a believer. And you can just, just be caught up in the beauty of the music and you can sing with us and dance with us and rejoice with us. I want to tell you, even though you are not a believer, Jesus is accepting your praise. Amen. Why is he accepting your praise? He's accepting your praise because from his vintage point, you are his daughter. You are his son. Yes. And he is going to save you. So sing along if you are an unbeliever. Sing along if you don't believe because your day of redemption is coming. So, as they continue, we read that when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And I like the way Matthew puts it because he said, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? It kind of reminds me another time in Matthew chapter 2 when Matthew writes of the day when Jesus was born. He writes that Herod sought to kill the child. And he said that the whole city was troubled and soldiers were going door to door and finding children and killing and all city was troubled. So contrast that period where all the city was troubled but now every, everybody is tired because of the coming of the king. They were troubled when the child was born, but now they are stirred when the king is coming. 
And they asked, who is this? Who is this? Now people were curious. Who is this that is coming riding on a donkey? Now you have to bear in mind, kings were not riding donkeys. Kings were riding in chariots. They were riding with soldiers carrying swords. They were riding with power and authority. But this that they are singing to be a king, he's coming so humbly on a donkey. A donkey was an animal for a poor person, a burdensome animal. But there Jesus comes riding on a donkey. And then everybody's laying their cloaks down, laying the palm leaves down as this donkey walks slowly as Jesus, you know, waves like, you know, like the royal waves to the crowd as they celebrate his coming. Now, in those crowds, there were also soldiers, the Roman soldiers, as I said, Jerusalem was under occupation by the Romans. So the Romans, looking at these people celebrating, they wouldn't have thought that Jesus is any danger to them. They were just, they would think, this is just another religion kind of practice or another religion thing that they have to fulfill. Jesus would not have posed any danger whatsoever. So they look at it as Jesus writes in, as people sing and shout, and they are just confused as everyone else is. I like the way Spurgeon puts it. I'm going to quote this. Sorry, I had this on PowerPoint, but my disc was corrupted. In another way, this crowd was ridiculous. In worldly eyes, in worldly eyes, is this your host? Are these your soldiers? Oh, strange kingdom. Without an army, most strange king who wears no sword. But he rides along in the midst of his people conquering and to conquer a strange kingdom in which there is the palm branches in place of a sword, the victory without the battle, no blood, no tears, no devastation, no burned cities, no mingled bodies, king of peace, king of peace, this is your dominion. He was coming to conquer a city and he did conquer the city. He has conquered the city but he has conquered the city through peace and not through war he has conquered the city in humility and not in pride and he came they could not recognize who he was they could not figure out who he was because he came in a manner that they did not understand but what amazes me about these people is that even though they did not understand. Because in John's gospel, John tells us clearly that even the disciples did not understand what was going on. Jesus had talked to them time and time again about this moment, but they were not understanding. I want to believe that this time around, the disciples who were with Jesus, they were so excited because they were thinking, this is it. We're going to be governors. We're going to be ministers. This is the moment that we have been training for for the past three years. Finally, something is going to happen. But they did not understand the context of what was going on. But amazingly, they kept praising God. They kept praising Jesus. And I wondered, me and you, who actually understands? 
who actually understands the significance of this day, who actually understands the significance and the power of God that comes through salvation of Jesus Christ, why wouldn't we praise more than these guys praise? Because for them, they were praising, celebrating the coming of a king who will rule over them. In a couple of years, most of them will die. In a couple of years, most of them will remain hungry and whatever. But for us, we know that even though trials are there, even though temptations are there, even though we have suffering in the present life, we can celebrate our king because we know that we have an eternal kingdom that is going to come. So our praise and worship and adoration should be better than these guys in this age. Because they didn't see the whole picture. But thank Jesus, me and you can see the whole picture of Christ. Now I want just to draw two quick lessons before I move on. The, lesson, the first lesson I want to draw is that the lordship of Jesus Christ is clearly demonstrated here. Jesus is kind of putting himself up and saying that I am the prophesied one. I am the Messiah. I am the King. He is not stopping people when they are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. He is not refusing that. He is not refuting them when they say, praise you and worship you and, and bow down. There has been a lot of dispute on who Jesus is. Some say that Jesus is not God. And according to, to the law, according to the Bible, only God could be worshipped. But here, clearly, Jesus is receiving worship. What does that tell us? That Jesus is God. Because it is only God who could receive worship. So the lordship of Jesus is revealed here in this story. The second thing that is revealed clearly is that Jesus does not always meet our expectations. These people's expectations were that... He is going to rule over us as king in Jerusalem. He is going to conquer the ones that are occupying us. But even though Jesus knew that this is what is deep inside their heart, this is what they are craving for, this is what they want, he disappointed them. I want to tell you, if you don't know, that Jesus will not meet all your expectations. Ooh. I'm going to say again, Jesus is not going to meet all your expectations. If you have your expectations, you have lined them up. You say, oh God, I want you to do this for me and then do this and then do this and then do this. He's not going to do it. And he has no apologies to make for it. <laughs> but what God desires is that you will seek to meet his expectations. That you will be at that place whereby you will humble yourself and say that, God, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I need, but what you desire for me. Not my thoughts and my mind, but your heart, oh God, is what I seek. That is where God wants you to be. Because he knows that all these things that you are seeking for are worldly things that will lead you to destruction. But the very thing that he seeks for you is going to give you eternal life. God is not so much interested in your world life than he is interested in the gazillion years that you're going to spend in eternity. So he will deny you that of which you really crave at the moment, but he will give you what you can't earn, what you can't work for, 
what you can't achieve in your own strength. So let us seek his expectations. Let us pray for his expectations. Let us pray for his heart so that we can follow what he desires for us. But sometimes when God doesn't meet our expectations, we feel like he has deserted us. We feel like we don't, we don't, we don't matter to him. And the enemy can put things in our hearts to say that, oh, because God didn't heal me, he doesn't love me. Because God didn't do that for me, he doesn't care for me enough. I want to tell you, we should refute enemies' lies every day. Because he is a cunning fellow who will lie to us that if God doesn't give me what I want, he doesn't love me. God gave you his all when he nailed himself on the cross. Because of you and me. And that is the greatest gift that anyone can never offer you. So as he goes into the city, knowing their expectations, knowing the kind of rebellion that he's going to, to face, Jesus in Luke 19 approaches the city with a heavy heart. And we read that as he approached the Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and said, if you even had only known of this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. If only you knew. He's going to go into this city and he's going to be rejected by the leaders of the city. He's going to be rejected by the Jews. And he moans and says, if only you knew that your salvation has come. But you have rejected that salvation. If only you knew. He went ahead to pronounce judgment on that city, which was fulfilled 40 years later. But he's asking you the same question. If only you knew the gift of life that he gives you. If only you knew the power that is found in Jesus. You wouldn't reject him. You would be so quick to say, yes, Jesus. You would be so quick to step up and say that I want to serve you for the rest of my life. Jesus is for real. Now, Matthew continues to say, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. Very quickly, what is happening here? He is at the temple. When he reaches the temple, all the courts have been covered by people with money tables, with animals selling. Now, what was happening here is that, you know, at this time, people had to sacrifice. The reason why people are traveling to Jerusalem is so that they can offer sacrifice for their sins, for their families. So as they come, these religious leaders had hatched a plot. So, Someone would come with the, the alarm which they have carried on the way to come and sacrifice. And then the religious leaders will tell them, you know that lamb has a spot here, has a spot here. It's rejected. We are not going to accept it for a sacrifice. But tell you what, there are other lambs here that are already pre-approved. So if you buy them, those ones will go through. And then your lamb, out there you bought it for a pound. Now when you get to the temple courts, you are buying that one for 50 pounds. So they were ripping people off. 
Now, the most annoying thing here is that they were doing this in the courts and the outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles. The, the temple had so many courts. It had the Holy of Holies, it had the court of the priests, it had the court of men, the court of women, and the court of the Gentiles. So where the Gentiles were supposed to be, where the Gentiles were supposed to come to the table, the temple, and see this God of the Jews, where the, the temple was supposed to receive people from outside, this is where they had set these tables to swindle these people. And Jesus really gets ticked off. Because the same people that he came to seek and find... The, the, the temple or the religious leaders are pushing those people away. And I felt really deeply in my spirit, us as a church, we are kind of the religious leaders of the time. Are we people that we have set tables around our church and we are blocking people who are supposed to be coming from outside from coming in? I felt that ringing on my heart. Because if we do so, the same anger that Jesus had that made him drop these guys with a whip, he, he will be feeling that anger. Because he says that my house will be a house of prayer. I, made, I intended my house to accommodate everyone, for all the guys to come out from this, and those who are drunk, those who are thieves, those who are having relationship problems, those who have suffered, you know, rejection. I made my house to be a house which will be open to all tongue and all generation, but you have put blockage for people to come to my house. I want to leave that with you. How is my conduct in the house of God? Am I someone who is receiving? If someone comes through those doors staggering, they've just been drinking since morning, are you going to receive him in or are you going to chase him in? If someone comes through those doors who has just come from prison because they imprisoned him for murdering his wife, are you going to bring him in or are you going to tell him, go away? Apparently, Jesus is saying, bring them all in. And that is what we need to be doing. I'm glad here at church our doors are open. But are our hearts open? We need to think about that. Because that is the heart of God. That is what he wants us to do. So Jesus goes on to overturn these tables and chase the money changers. And I just felt also God saying that there are things that he wants to overturn in your life. Maybe you are an angry person. Maybe you have resentment. Maybe you are just a person who likes gossiping a lot. Jesus wants to overturn those tables in your life so that he can make you into a temple that he desires to be. Because your body is the temple of God. It is not just your conduct when you are in here, but more so it's your conduct when you are out there. You are walking with the temple of the Lord. So how is your conduct out there attractive to those that are around you? So, when Jesus died on the cross, the vein in this church, this, this temple had a vein which was broken as Jesus died on the cross in a symbol of that everybody is free to come in. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you are there feeling alone, if you are there feeling left out, 
If you are there feeling that I am not good enough, I want to tell you Jesus is calling you in this day. He wants you to come in. Come with joy. Come and belong. We want to stand behind you. We want to pray for you. He says that my house will be a house of prayer. We have opened this house for prayer. We've just spoken about prayer this morning. There are these cards. You can write your prayers there. We're going to have a box that will be coming somewhere here in the weeks to come that you can put your prayers in there. If you just want someone to stand with you and pray, please don't be alone. We want to pray with you. There is a prayer meeting here every Tuesday. Come and pray. There is a prayer breakfast that we really want families to come together so that you don't say, oh, today I have to go and leave my wife or leave my children. We are saying we want all as a family to come in. Please come to the prayer breakfast once a month on Saturday morning. We want to rejoice just praying together as a family. There is something important when the church comes together to pray. Because when we are back home, yes, we can pray. Yes, we can do our intercession. But have you noticed prayers that we pray in private are also so private. But when we pray corporately, you start praying for things that you will never think about when you are praying privately. Because it is not just about you. God starts empowering you to look at other people that are around. That is why when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he said, our Father in heaven. He didn't say pray, my Father in heaven. He made it corporate. And prayer should be so. And not only prayer. In this text also, Jesus goes on to say, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Not only a house of prayer, but Jesus wants our house, this house, the church, to be a house of help. And I thank God for this church because he has raised people who are really helpful in the ministries that we are doing. These guys who are lame, who are blind, you know they had been locked out. They couldn't even feature anywhere near even in the temple courts. But by Jesus coming into the temple and driving everybody who was selling and buying out, now the lame, the blind, they managed to come in. And I want to tell you, you can also come in. We want to be a church that will help the needy. I'm thankful to God for opening up Megan for the helping hand that she's doing. I'm thankful for the food bank that we offer a service in this church. I'm thankful for the parenting course that people can be helped on how to parent their children. I'm thankful for it, it Well Spend Less, a course that is in, in your news sheet. It will be starting soon. This place is a place of help. So when we find people in the society suffering, we should be able to tell them, come to church. You will find help. And that is what Jesus wants us to be doing. Not only so, but it goes on to say, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, not only did Jesus heal these people, but there are more things that he did that made the chief priests, you know, ticked off. The wonderful things that he did. 
So I was thinking, not only a, a house of prayer, not only a place of help, but the church should be a place where people are empowered. We should be people who should empower each other to operate in the giftings that God gave us. So when you see someone praying out loud, you need to go encourage them to pray out even more. When you see someone seated quietly through the service, you need to go around them and ask them, are you okay? Everybody's rejoicing, but you seem to be sad. What seems to be the problem? We need to be a place where we can empower people to live in the giftings and in the way that God made them to be. I was talking to the elder ladies at my group a few weeks ago, and I was telling them, it's so good when I see you know, senior people in this church who have been married for, you know, so many years. And, you know, it's so beautiful when I look at that. And I was telling the senior ladies in my group, I told them, you know, it is a great opportunity for you to speak to our wife, to speak to young women and tell them, what is the secret? What is this secret that has made you live for 49 years, 50 years, 63 years, dead and deaf who passed recently? What is this secret? Because times are changing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so every each one of you, there is something that you can teach another person. Don't write yourself off and say, oh, I've been a church leader for so many years. I'm tired. I've done my bit. There is a lot that God wants you to use you for. So you should be always in a place to be available to be used by God. Lastly, as I finish this text, he says, And the children shouting in the temples, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked, Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never heard from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Now, it really surprises me. The religious leaders did not have any problem with people stealing and swindling people in their church. But they had a big problem seeing the children praise. That just tells you how rotten this church was. And I was thinking about this and I said, do you know, sometimes me and you can be like that. We have just said in this church, you know, we want to have an open service. We want to encourage as many people as possible. Come and share what has gone down for you. Come and share what, what, what's your journey like. But do you know, you can sit there and have an attendant to say, oh, so and so, he shared last week. What are they standing doing again? Or so and so, he prayed. Why are they also giving a prophecy or a testimony? And instead of rejoicing where you are about someone else sharing, you start expressing anger and doubt and disbelief. I'm telling you, if, if you feel at any point you are drifting that way, you, you really need to repent. Because if you can't celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life, and you feel anger and resentment, then there is something seriously going wrong in your life. But thank God for his grace and mercy because he wants to shape you into a man and a woman and a child that he desires to be. So he identifies those things in your life and says, repent my daughter, repent my son. Because I want the best for you. Our joy should start increasing when people share testimonies. We should just come, you know, and do the tapi dance. Someone has given a testimony. 
If someone prays and prays again, we should be more excited by them praying the second time than even the first time. So I want us to be stirred as a church to be a joyful church. I was raised as a Pentecost, and I have some reservations about the Pentecost church. But I just want you to be a little bit, not too much, but just a little bit there. <laughs> Come on, guys, we can do it. We can increase our joy. And you know, there are things that you can do physically that will ignite your heart spiritually. You can stand there and sing and say, oh, that song is so boring. But try just lifting, <laughs> lifting your hands and waving. The moment you start lifting and waving, you, you start feeling the song. Yes. So try to do something physical that will ignite something spiritual. Because God wants the best for you. We are not serving a gloomy God. We are serving an excited God. I want to share to you a testimony that, that just shows how helpful the church is. On Sunday, my wife was in great pain because she had, she had been suffering from this the whole week. She had a, 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 a lump or a swelling in her breast and it was painful to breastfeed. It was paining her. She was suffering it from the whole week. She came to church. It was so painful through the service, very painful. At the end of the service, Kavi and Andrew prayed for her. So we went home. When we went home, she just developed a fever. She was shaking. She was, for the first time, I was really concerned what's going on. So I phoned 111 and I explained to the doctor and he said, I've booked you at Walking Community Center. Come immediately at 6. There is an appointment for you so that they look at her. So she continued with, we continued with the afternoon, had lunch, and then we drove to Walking Community Center. She saw the doctor. She was given a prescription, but being Sunday at 7 p.m., there is no chemist, so we just walked back home. So, sitting back home, we were relaxing after a couple of minutes, then she just realized she's not in pain anymore. And then she touched her breast, nothing, no, no lump there. She said, come have a feel. I touched, because I had felt the lump, it was so big and so thick. I touched her breast, there was nothing. The lamp was reduced very tiny. She wasn't in any pain. And then I just remembered, I told her, oh, the prayer worked. <laughs> now, I'm telling you this, just not because of a testimony, praise to God, but I'm telling you this in illustrating how important the church is. She had told me this for a whole week. And I had not prayed for her, even for a single day. Trust me. You, it can be that bad. I, it had never occurred in my mind. I, we pray every day. In the morning, I pray. In the afternoon, in the evening. But it had never occurred to me that actually I can pray for her healing in this way. And she was in pain the whole week. But when she came to church, someone else, God just opened them to see that need. The need that I had neglected thinking, oh, it is just because you, you know, people suffer from these things, I'm sure it will come down. Someone saw that with a spiritual eye and said, I'm going to rebuke that. So I'm telling you, there is a lot that God wants to do in your life. You just don't know it. If you just take, make the effort of just stepping forward and saying, God, here I am, use me, 
you will be surprised by what God will do in your life. So I want to pray with you. I have faith to pray with you this morning. If you are crying out, as this cry, cra crowd was asking, who is this Jesus? You have that question and wondering, who is this Jesus? John says in his gospel that he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. But for all those who believed in him, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have a choice this morning to become a child of God by saying yes to Jesus. And if you are there this morning, I would like to pray with you to receive this Jesus so that he can give you that peace in your heart and start working in your life. I want to pray with you this morning. You who is crying, save me, the way these people were crying. They were crying, Hosanna, save us now. And that you, you might be crying out, save me. Maybe I'm having trouble in my relationship. Save me. Maybe my body, I'm suffering from illness. Save me because someone I know is going through a hard time. And whatever it is that you are crying out this morning, save me. Jesus is able to save you this morning. So I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you this morning for the power of God in your life for healing. Those of you who are feeling your body is not right or someone close to you has been going through terrible times, I want to pray for the power of God in healing in your life this morning. So if any of those things touches you, will you please stand? I want to pray with you this morning. And for all of us, I want to pray this morning that may God work his power in us so that we can be the best that he wants us to be. So I invite you all to stand. <clears throat> so just have faith this morning. Trust in God. Because he came to save and to seek those that are lost. And he has never passed you by. He will complete the work that he has started in your life. If you haven't seen it yet, don't give up because he is there.